Key to the Inside, a podcast by Corey Johnson-Levitt. By interviewing leaders from all branches of government, our podcast will provide insight and an up-close perspective into state and national government. Uh, welcome to KJL's podcast, The Key to the Inside. Uh, today, Ron Corey and myself, Stephanie Johnson, are being joined by Jim Holcomb and John Walsh. Jim is the, um, well, soon to be the CEO and president of the Michigan Chamber, and uh, John is the the, the um, president and CEO of the Michigan Manufacturers Association. So we're really lucky to have these two gentlemen join us today. They're, they're leaders of two of the largest business or organizations in the state. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't also bring up their history within state government. Uh, Jim was a former chief of staff to a speaker of the House. And John was a legislator. He served in the state house for six years and also served under Governor Snyder for a period of time. So not only do these gentlemen have an incredible amount of knowledge and insight to Michigan's economy and industry, but they also have a, a lot of depth of knowledge in the inner workings of state government legislative process. So thank you gentlemen both for joining us today and being available to have this discussion. No, thanks for having us. Looking forward to the talk. Yeah, glad to be here. Great. Thank you. Well, again, thank you guys for coming. We appreciate it. We know you're busy. Uh, given uh, COVID, uh, obviously your members are probably the ones that have had to scramble probably the most uh, with this. So first question I want to throw out, with COVID pretty much in the rearview mirror at this point, what do you see as the biggest, most impactful adjustment your members are going to have to make to kind of keep profitability going forward and creativity going forward? Well, I'll jump in. I think the biggest thing I'm hearing from our members, it's about talent uh, recruitment and retention. Certainly the paradigm has changed a little bit between an employer and an employee and how you bring in people into your organization. And I think it's just really becoming a situation where employees are having to be creative. You have to be more flexible. You have to really listen to what your employees want. And certainly with uh, with the federal unemployment stimulus, it's making harder to attract talent right now, and people are going to have to get creative, and they really have to not only sell your organization, but it's about the culture, and it's about people wanting to collaborate on the product or service you're creating and selling. And I would I would repeat uh, on talent, it is key. It was a big deal for the industry beforehand, uh, particularly for manufacturing uh, before the COVID uh, pandemic, but it has only been exacerbated. And Jim's right, uh, there's a big impact from the federal uh, unemployment kick uh, that a lot of folks are taking. Uh, the governor has indicated that that will continue in Michigan through September 6th. Uh, that's when it ends. Uh, so we expect some relief there. Uh, but the other impact has been uh, schools. Um, are they open? Are they closed? Is it a hybrid? And for a single parent uh, or a uh, two-parent household that where they're both working, uh, that's been a real uh, difficult um, challenge for them to raise their child, help educate their child and, and try to keep their job. So we're looking at schools coming back online uh, in the fall uh, and that will help. And, and getting rid of that extra unemployment uh, amount will also help. But making sure people know, uh, you know, for our members that manufacturing is uh, good wages, good benefits um, and a good environment to work in is critical. And we can do better. Uh, frankly, as an industry, we can do better to let folks know 
that there are good jobs available and the conditions that uh, people will work in. So talent's really a, a big deal. The other one, just quickly, that I would mention is uh, the supply chain is going to be in some some uh, nature of change uh, for the next couple of years. It won't be overnight, but what we realized were um, some weaknesses in the worldwide supply chain that might be addressed if we could do some more onshoring. I think we're seeing just by virtue of our conversation today, using the new technology platforms, is changing it for you know a lot of employers are able to provide the flexibility. I was talking with a large uh, contractor the other day. He was bringing on a young woman in um, the architectural side of their business. She wants to live in Denver. You're located here in Michigan. She was the talent they wanted. They said, fine. They said, you know, as long as you get on an airplane a couple times a year when we need you, you can do the job. And the technology is allowing that. So it's the creativity, I think, that employers are able to kind of utilize now to make sure they can get the talent they want. Because it's not only wages. You see, um, mm -hmm. He's now they want to feel the culture. They want to feel that they're making a difference. They want to have a say in the business. And you're going to have some good collaboration between employers and employees. I think it's going to make organizations stronger. And it's the flexibility. COVID certainly was a, a horrible situation for the entire country. But it's things like this, learning how. I can't believe I didn't know what you know Zoom was a year and a half ago. I'm on it you know, five times a day. And so it's becoming part of our nature now. And I think it is helpful. I think people do want to get back in person. They want to be that have that interaction. They they kind of crave that continuity of conversation, but the technology is going to make it a different situation for employers and employees. So you see, it sounds like you see a post-COVID uh, economy having a lot of changes made to it based on what we had to adapt to during COVID. So what other changes do you see that might be more permanent as we go forward that didn't really exist so much before the COVID pandemic hit? I, I think to, to Jim's point, the technology is gonna stay. The ability to communicate through Zoom or GoToWebinar or any of the other uh, sources, it does help. You know, The one thing that I would just uh, mention, uh, if we can go back for a second, in on the production floor, our folks have to be there. And so the, the tension for manufacturers will be, um, do they bring back their HR staff? Do they bring back the finance staff? Um, those folks might want to engage in the new economy, for lack of a better description, and work from home. And that's going to take some time uh, to sort out where you're in a business that requires some of the employees to be on site and possibly others not uh, because of their job category. So technology is here to stay. And we'll see uh, more automation in manufacturing, uh, but it won't be along the lines of the, the major job replacing main, uh, automation that occurred for many years. It'll be more, how do you synchronize human and a computer or digital technology? How do you put those two together for more productivity and stability moving forward? I think the future is looking good for our economy because I think one of the problems John pointed out earlier that we have to address is supply chain. We're going to have to bring more of that. We saw too many interrupting, you know, from major uh, chip manufacturing down to, can you get chicken wings at your restaurant? It, it just really impacted everybody across the board. And I think we're seeing that sometimes it's economically beneficial to outsource um, all over the world. And that's great because we can do it, but we need to make sure that we're protected and we have the supply chains here to make sure we satisfying the needs of all of our citizens. And I think you'll see a big push there. I think it'll not only be from our elected leaders, but from our business leaders and people are gonna redesign their process. And I think the exciting part is too, 
there are going to be changes. We have no idea what they are. Everybody's thinking differently now. We're going to have a different process. There'll be new products coming out. Look at how many job providers just pivoted on a dot, not only serve their customers, but to help with COVID. You had major manufacturers, you know, um, who created new systems to build ventilators when we needed them. Everybody pitched in. And I think what we saw is that people are more flexible than what we sometimes believe. And I think job providers are going to lead that way. And we're going to have a whole new economy and new parts of it that we don't even envision yet. Yeah, following up on that, I mean, we all know the saying, you know, never let a good tragedy go to waste. Uh, and I think both of you kind of touched on, you know, what we don't know and what we're about to learn about ourselves and how we kind of handle ourselves and go forward to stay relevant, whether it's a manufacturing plant or a, uh, a typical business. Uh, with that, uh, and given both of your long resumes within uh, uh, state government, uh, what do you see as being needed to be done, whether it's through the executive department or executive office or the departments or even legislatively that would kind of smooth the path along for us to achieve those new nuances of doing uh, and running our companies? I think the way I look at it, first, people need to understand there's no silver bullet. There's a lot of problems out there and nothing's going to change immediately. Uh, secondly, I focus more on the process. I came up through the policy shops in the legislature and being a staffer. And I think we need to get back to the point of having a real debate and a real discussion. We've lost that ability. And this is a Republican and Democrat problem right now. We need more policy and less politics. Politics is always going to be part of the process, and that's fine but it can't drive the process. And I think there are a lot of important conversations that we need to have that we don't anymore. Whether you call it the cancel culture or somebody just wants to get on Twitter and fire off a tweet, it's always, we're no longer the 24 hour news cycle, we're the, the 10 minute Twitter cycle. And that's just damaging to the process because I think we really need to get down and, and dive into the problems that we see, face them head on, well, get people working together. We need to demand from our elected leaders that they're they're working together. That's the one thing I would change that I hear from my members. They want people working together. They don't necessarily, everybody doesn't have to agree. And it's fine to disagree as long as you do it the right way and the conversation continues. When John was a legislator, he was great at that. You could hear a yes or no from him, but he would keep talking. He was always looking to solve the problem. And I think we're missing some of that now. Some of this is term limits. But some of this is just the, the politics from the federal government on down. And I worry that the public is pulling back and that's not good for anybody. We need our citizens engaged to talk to their elected leaders. But we also need them to be part of the process. And again, I, I agree you know, with Jim's assessment. Um, and Jim, thank you for your, your comment. I always enjoyed working with Chamber in, in this role. I still do and look forward to you and I uh, moving forward with our, our groups. The, um, the noise is dramatic and it is, it's almost all politics. Uh, the problem is if you're a business owner or you're a citizen just trying to make, uh, make your way, um, the noise is so loud and conflicting, it's difficult to find a consistent policy that you can rely on. And, and so at a granular level, coming out of the pandemic, let's take a look at our, our, our regulatory structure, our tax structure, Make sure it's appropriate, protects folks, but allows uh, industry to move forward, uh, be uh, productive, uh, provide jobs um, and income to everybody. 
but there's just so little room for people to have conversations um, because you're always wrong, or at least you're accused for being wrong because you have a different opinion. So it's, you know, it really isn't so direct to the, the question. I think Jim and I are both identifying some major concerns that we have uh, about business moving forward and being the job creators that it, that it can be and should be uh, here in Michigan. Other states, you know, unfortunately, I think we have a national issue on our hand, but some other states are able to rise above the partisan politics and have a clarity of message for their citizens and uh, for businesses. Um, that allow folks to think I ought to be in Indiana. You know, I ought to be in South Carolina. Maybe I should move to Florida. So, um, you know, trying to find uh, states where there is, trying to replicate where there, there's clarity of message will be critical to us moving forward. Um, now, all of that said, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, we, we didn't always agree with the Whitmer administration, but we always were welcome at the table. And we often did agree, and we're we're very thankful for that. Um, continued openness to uh, citizens, business owners, uh, labor, whoever it may be, as long as there's still that dialogue, I have hope uh, because people will still keep uh, reacting. Politicians will react to their constituents. That's important. Do you guys see a kind of a a shift, maybe then, again, one of the, one of the outcomes of COVID, that we can do more things, not in the office. Do you see a shift coming from maybe uh, not so many people engaging in uh, the four-year degree and moving on to a trade, uh, given that there will be, you know, these, we're talking a couple billion dollar infrastructure package coming up, college being expensive, um, and understanding that, you know, we now have these this technology where we do not need to be at a certain campus and we can learn how to whether it's uh, uh, run a crane operator or work on an elevator. Do you guys, are you starting to see a shift or maybe seeing a shift from university thought process to maybe back into the trades? I certainly hope so. I, I need it personally in my own uh, world with um, sons and daughters, uh, family and friends, that people are seeing the trades. It's a great career. You have a good uh, career path and it's something where there's, I think people have an antiquated notion of what a trade is. If you talk to a welder now and plumbers and electricians all across the board, the creativity and the education that's needed, the training they get is just fantastic. And these are the, the people in those jobs, those men and women are building the communities around us that we need. Certainly infrastructure, Ron, you mentioned, it's, it's an area that's been ignored for far too long and we have to address it. And we need those people in those jobs. Everybody is not suited for a four-year degree, just like everybody is not suited to be an electrician. You have to find your path in life. And I think far too often, we look down on people who are in trades. You know, I um, Governor Snyder graciously appointed me to one of his commissions. We run around the state talking to people about the future of the workforce. And far too many times we heard parents say, you know, I just don't want my child going into trades. I don't want them to have to have that type of job. And it's a job that, uh, they just didn't understand what the modern scope of that work is and what the, the great life it provides kids. I, you know, I do see a reaction from community colleges and other technical and trade schools uh, trying to step up their programming, uh, looking for ways to uh, invest in their equipment and faculty to make uh, courses available to a rising demand uh, from our consumer. Um, not so much from the universities, you know, and I what I what I do worry about 
is um, the chorus that you have to have a baccalaureate degree um, or you can't proceed. It, it's it's growing loud again. It, it kind of, it's ebbed and flowed over the last 10, 15 years, and it's starting to come back. Uh, I won't dismiss anyone's academic pursuit, whatever it may be. Uh, they need to find their balance uh, and their, their future. From a counseling standpoint, from a societal standpoint, I think we have to make sure that folks that want to be in the trades feel proud about being in the trades. It's a good, it's a good living. Um, the other biggest trend in education, you know, as I read about it, uh, it's a lifelong endeavor now. When I graduated from high school, I went on to college, I went on to law school. And for all intents and purposes, I'm done with my education. You know, I, my on-the-job training, of course. But when you look at uh, our economy today, um, to progress through almost any job, it requires additional training. And so we need our, our colleges uh, and universities to be more adaptable to that reality. That mixture of students that might be 18 years old, there for uh, a full 15 credits, but they might be joined by a 50-year-old uh, who's there for a couple of credits so that they can move up at their office. Uh, it's, it's, it's a big adjustment, but one we're gonna have to make if, our, if we wanna be truly successful in Michigan, addressing our education uh, and our workforce development will be key to that, I think, beyond any other uh, tool available to us. I was just gonna say, what I hear from my members is, it's those jobs in the trades that they're missing. It's what's keeping them back from growing, that there are so many open positions across the state and jobs, right? The community colleges are filling a great need. They're working closely with employers, just are the, as the unions are. I think people would be surprised to understand, you know, we talked earlier about just the dynamics of the political discourse we have. How many times the chamber is working with unions now trying to make sure we have good policy? That works together and that moves everybody forward. And it's been one of the great uh, changes I've seen over the last 10 years. I think labor and management are more focused working together. They are going to agree on everything and there's no reason they should. But on the areas they do agree, there's an understanding that if they work together, we can have positive change. And I think we're going to see that. And I think it's going to help the trades across the state because my members need those people to help build the infrastructure and the trades are providing good jobs and it's just a win-win situation when everybody works together down that path so speaking of that i mean what kind of policy or uh, regulations laws could the state be pursuing uh that would help in this area help with not just the trades but manufacturing side as well as far as getting more uh employees out there in the in the employment pool and training etc i mean we all know that there's things that are happening in the legislature. There's been some programs put into place, but are they working and, and how can they be enhanced more? Yeah, we, we've been very pleased with uh, things like Reconnect and Going Pro. Uh, Futures for Frontliners, they all focus on people entering or those that are in the workforce uh, that need to skill up to stay in it. So additional funding, uh, maybe tweaking of those programs, uh, you know, as the economy changes or as we look forward to what the needs are and meeting those. Uh, a couple of things I think from a public policy standpoint that we could do is um, additional counseling available in high schools. Uh, and I'm talking about career counseling. Um, our counselors are uh, overwhelmed as it is on an academic basis. The last time I heard a number was something like 600 students to one uh, counselor in high school uh, on average across the state, you know, larger districts, of course. but. If we could have career counselors that could help students at a young age 
uh, realize uh, that there are options available to them uh, and <clears throat> what that might mean, lifestyle, income, participation in the community, whatever it may be, that opportunity to really talk more deeply about it. That's a, a policy that we should pursue. There are incentives that I'd like to revisit with the legislature, uh, something that's smart, that truly does incentivize a business to open and hire here or expand and hire here. You know, we've had some successful ones. We've had some ones that were a little bit embarrassing uh, over the years, but we shouldn't abandon them. Would like to have an opportunity to have that conversation. It hasn't been visited for a couple of years now, so I think it's 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 overdue. Yeah, I agree with John. I think the counseling is a key. We need to make sure the people helping these students, one, that they have a caseload that's manageable, but two, that they also have the background to know how to advise them. You know, I think a lot of counselors are already predisposed to say, okay, you have to go to a four-year degree, and you know, we've always had these goals. So many people have a college degree by this point in time. But if you look, you know, putting some resources into our technical campuses and our ISDs to making sure that you still have uh, introductory courses in high school to even expose the, the student to. I know when I grew up, you had small machines, you had auto shop, you had wood shop, you had drafting, you had all these things that just don't exist in many schools anymore. And, you know, if a student doesn't get that first exposure, they never have the ability to dream of what could be. And we need to make sure that we're giving them that first exposure. I'll ask, let me ask this uh, question. I know we have a couple minutes left here. Um, both of you, obviously, Jim representing the chamber and John representing the uh, manufacturers of, of the state. Which sectors of each of your memberships are going to probably have the most difficult time catching up with, again, uh, where they were prior to COVID? And how, how do they, how would they uh, keep themselves going forward and staying alive? Because I know we're seeing a lot of mom and pop places shut down and probably not come back. We're seeing some mid-sized firms obviously having some issues. We talked about supply chain uh, being a big problem. I'm in the process of trying to buy a car and there's four cars on the lots. Clearly that's a problem for both of your memberships. I mean, who, what sectors do you see as kind of needing the biggest help or the, the biggest push to keep, to keep them and keep us going forward as an economy? I think immediately the sector I hear the most from that's having the biggest trouble weathering the storm is the hospitality industry. Your restaurants, your hotels, travel, tourism. I think a lot of our other members, they have plans in place. They were coming through COVID. They're certainly looking different now, but they believe that there's a, a quicker turnaround. And again, it comes to talent. If you're up north, they're offering $18 an hour in signing bonuses to work at Subway and they can't get any takers. Yeah. You don't have enough people to staff the hotels and golf courses <laughs> and all the recreational aspects of Northern Michigan. And that's a real problem because there are people that, you know, the tourism dollars are very uh, flexible. If I live in Indiana and I can't get what I want in Michigan, I go to Wisconsin, I go around. We need to make sure that we're uh, doing what we can to make sure that talent pool is being uh, pushed forward into jobs because there are great jobs available and just not enough takers yet. I heard, you know, stories over the last two weeks of job fairs, virtual job fairs, and more employers than people showing up for the job fair. You'd have 30 or 40 employers and five people show up. Wow. We've got to change that mindset because that's a huge part of our industries or of our state's economy, as we all know. And I think they're the ones that are struggling the most right now. And I agree with Jim. It is hospitality, uh, restaurants and, and so on, really struggling to get folks back. And there's a pent up demand. You know, I see it when I go out and uh, 
there's just short of euphoria. People are, we've, we've suffered a year where we're able to go out. I can't wait to get to a concert, uh, but the services may not always be available because of uh, workforce. And our members feel it, and of course, Jim's members that are in manufacturing, you know, they're making a widget for a refrigerator uh, or the table that's used in a restaurant, uh, the bed that's at a, a hotel. So it, the, the weakness in that sector affects all the others. In manufacturing, our members are cautiously optimistic. It's the demand is up in almost every sector. Um, it's just the workforce and supply chain that um, are causing concern. And then uh, inflation, we're already starting to see inflation rise in the price of raw goods um, and fuel. And that'll start to hit the consumer uh, very, very soon. But overall, they're, they're confident. If there's an area that was a winner uh, for Michigan, during COVID, it was people that were making boats and golf clubs and outdoor recreational items. And I'm, you know, I say that with a smile on my face, but it's true. Uh, you know, there were certain uh, certain aspects of the economy that were booming because you couldn't go out. You know, you could do things on your own, but you couldn't assemble like you might or travel like you used to. And so those are still seeing a strong, um, still seeing a strong year. But they're looking at some softening next year. You know, as we return to normal, something. Uh, getting back but uh, overall we're good it's just trying to keep the rest of the economy moving and opening i think we had the conversation about not letting a crisis go to waste hopefully that's true hopefully our elected leaders and the public in general just come forward and said hey we came through this now we got to make sure everybody comes back stronger well you know you talk about the crisis and and kind of the the uh, things that have happened as a result. One of the things that have happened is the states received quite a, a significant influx of federal dollars, which has really boosted our state budget considerably. Um, as you think about policy to move forward with that helps with employment, the you know employees and the, the sectors of the economy that have struggled, what would some of the recommendations you have uh, for the dollars that have come in that have yet to be spent? Where would where would you recommend that they go so they get uh, used to the greatest advantage possible? Because I I'm I figure in my lifetime we'll never see an influx of federal cash like that into our state coffers again. So how do we use these resources the wisest for our state? I would say I'd like to use them. Our message spend to the, the budget committees is whatever money that's coming in federally, treat it as one-time money. Don't create a long-term debt structure. Don't create an ongoing expense that's going to be a burden on future budgets. And let's put it in transportation. You know, that's infrastructure. It's one of the areas where we know we have skilled workforce needs. We can train and bring people along. And it's the best, most efficient use of taxpayer dollars. Let's improve the infrastructure systems that we all need to move our people and products around the state and use it wisely. It's a, a problem that's been ignored for far too long. And I think this is a perfect time to utilize those funds because what people can't come to believe is somehow this money is free. So we need to use it wisely and efficiently for the taxpayer. We're all paying for that money somewhere. It may have come from the federal government appropriations process, but we're all gonna pay for that. So let's make sure it's done smartly and whether it's infrastructure on roads and bridges or what do some of our schools need technology and upgrades there that are one-time expenses that we can really have a, an impactful and meaningful benefit. Yep, I agree uh, with all of that. And uh, the chamber, the MMA, uh, SBM, BLM, and uh, the Lansing, Grand Rapids, and Detroit regional chambers, we all signed a letter together 
uh, encouraging uh, five, six principles. Uh, and they fell along the lines of what Jim just described, long-term thinking, not long-term spending. Yeah. Uh, make sure it has a long-term impact, uh, but not something that's gonna create that debt uh, for the future. Um, and I think the, the, the budget office has been doing a pretty nice job coming up with very good ideas. My conversations with legislators tend largely to be bigger schemes than smaller. Uh, but I do worry a little about, you know, everybody thinks, okay, it's 17 billion. If I, if I just ask Senator so-and-so for a million, I should be good. Uh, well, and I, and I think it was uh, Jim Thomas. I, I think it was Jim and he and I were talking. He said, yeah, I must have about 10,000 $1 million requests, <laughs> you know? So uh, it's think big, think long-term uh, uh, infrastructure investments. The rules are becoming a little more tight uh, on where you can spend it on infrastructure because the Biden administration is still hoping to get a, a large um, infrastructure uh, package. But still, if you improve IT for state office buildings, for schools, you um, take on for the, uh, finally, you have the resources to take on a court system that has an IT system, it's unyieldly. It, it's, it's so, and there's a cost to that for businesses and citizens when um, the IT is not working effectively. Right. Um, Air-conditioned schools so that we can get to a year-round calendar. Those are the kinds of investments that I would think about. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, we're at the 30-minute mark almost here, but uh, any final final thoughts before we close out? Uh, I'll throw it to uh, Jim first. And uh, again, just quickly, again, final thoughts on how you see or what you see or what you think you should see uh, going forward. Uh, we're optimistic. I'm optimistic. Our members are, uh, like John has said, you know, there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel here, and and it looks like many sectors are going to move forward. We just have to make sure we're diligent in pushing the process the right way, breaking down some of these political and partisan barriers to have a real conversation because we have an opportunity now. The money is there on the budget side. We need to have the wherewithal to make sure that we're putting policies in place so it can be spent efficiently for taxpayers and in the long-term interests of the state. The, you know, the old saying, the rising tide floats all boats, I think could really uh, apply here. We need to make sure we, we stay focused on what's best for the state moving forward, but we are optimistic. And I indicated uh, we're optimistic as well, and we'll keep working. And while uh, both Jim and I hope uh, for consistency of messaging from our legislators and, and from the administration, uh, I'll tell you in, in no uncertain terms, the chamber and the MMA uh, and, and the other organizations that I've mentioned, we've been standing very tight together. Uh, where we where we think it's appropriate, we speak together because if we're going to ask for clarity from our legislators, we owe them our clarity. Uh, and we are, there are so many things that uh, we have sometimes overlapping memberships, but sometimes very different memberships. I have the luxury of worrying about a single sector, but our sector is affected by every other sector. Um, when we sit down with the CEOs, and Jim, I look forward to, to you joining our, our, I think we're doing bi-weekly calls now instead of <laughs> weekly calls, but you know, having the opportunity to chat about what's going on. Sometimes we just say we're good, but other times we come up with a plan and, and put our teams together. And I think that's been very, very helpful in our legislative success for our, our job creators moving forward. So glad to, to, to be part of this. Glad to see you all. You know, I started a year ago and had this vision. I was so happy to be back in Lansing. Uh, loved my job. And then COVID happened and I couldn't see everybody. 
you know, right. so each of you are going to get a text from me suggesting lunch one of these days because we haven't done that. We welcome it. I really look forward to it. We do welcome it. I miss you being up here, John. I truly do. Now, and we appreciate, you know, Stephanie, you and, and Ron putting these together. These are tremendous to have this type of podcast and this kind of a conversation. I know the chamber, we work well with your firm. You do a tremendous job for your clients and infrastructure and aggregates and a lot of issues we can work together on. And I think people don't get to see that. They don't see behind the curtain what a lobbying firm does and what an association like John's does or, or the chamber here. There's a lot of good work going on and I just don't want the public to be dispirited. There are always challenges, but we're still the greatest country in the world. This is a tremendous state. And I, I still think we have a tremendous upside if we all just stay focused. Absolutely. Well Very said. well said. And I think that cannot get any better. So uh, with that, <laughs> gentlemen, thank you very, very much. And likewise, we do appreciate your time, your efforts, and working with you on numerous mm -hmm. issues. Uh, we want to continue that. And again, we appreciate your perspective, your insights. And with that, I want to say thank you very much. And onward and upward. Thank, thank you. you. Great. Thank you. Thank you for joining A Key to the Inside, the KJL podcast.